When you get into a car, there are two pieces of glass in front of you. There's a windshield, and then there's a rearview mirror. And by design, one of those pieces of glasses, one of those pieces of glass is bigger than the other. By design, the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. And that is because where you are going is far more important than where you've been. Where you're headed, the journey ahead of you, is more important than the journey that you've covered up to that point. Now look, you may have been stuck in traffic back there. You might have been cut off by some crazy person back there. You might have had to drive through a rainstorm, or maybe you had open roads back there. But none of that, none of what has happened on the road behind you is as important as what is on the road ahead of you. By design, your focus is supposed to be on what is to come. If you are going to make good progress, then you must spend more time looking through the windshield than you do looking in the rearview mirror. Many people are not making good progress in the Christian faith because they're spending more time looking in the rear view than they are looking through the windshield. In other words, what I'm saying is that many people have been captive to their past. Many people have become captive to the things that have happened in their past. Their spiritual growth has been stifled because they're entangled by the past. And the message of the Apostle Paul in our passage for today is simple. Here's, the, here's what you're going to walk away with today, I hope. We must shift our attention from the past to the prize. We must shift our attention from the past to the prize. If we are going to make good progress in our Christian spiritual life, then we must shift our attention from the past to the prize. You may have been stuck in traffic in the past, but you must shift your attention from the past to the present. You may have been cut off by some crazy person in the past, but you must shift your attention from the past to the prize. Maybe you've come through a lot of suffering and a lot of heartache and storms in your past, but you must shift your attention from the past to the prize. So let's first talk about the past as Paul frames it up for us. In verses 12 through 13, you will notice that Paul emphasizes the fact that he has not yet arrived spiritually. He's just talked about all these wonderful things, but he wants to clarify because his opponents were saying that they had indeed arrived. And Paul is saying, no, I don't consider myself to have arrived. I don't think that I have arrived at some state of spiritual bliss and perfection. I haven't arrived there yet, but I'm running. I'm running after it like little Joshua right now. Praise the Lord. He's given us insight into the kind of purpose that he sees in the Christian life. There is great purpose, not aimlessness. 
There is great purpose in the Christian life. Notice what he says. He says, I haven't yet arrived, but one thing I do. And grammatically, syntactically, if you follow it, what is the one thing that he does? One thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the one thing I do? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing I do. That's my ambition. That is my purpose. That frames up everything in my life, everything that I'm doing. All of my ambitions, all of my drivenness, all of my desire, all of my hopes, all of my sweat, my blood, my tears is poured into this one thing. I'm pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But before he gets to that, he adds some qualification. He tells us the manner in which he presses on. And it gives us insight into how we are to think about pressing on. Look at this text. This is the one thing he does. He presses on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But how does he press on? How do, how, Paul would say, how do I press on? Forgetting what lies behind. Paul is telling his friends that he has shifted his attention from his past to the prize. And I don't think these words could be more meaningful than they are coming from this man, Paul the Apostle. I want, I want us to think for a moment about the man who speaks these words. Think about all of the things that we can consider when it comes to the way Paul for, forgets what lies behind? Think about his life. Let's dig a little deeper. Paul forgets his past sins and failures. Remember who he was. He was a persecutor of the church. He had done so much moral and ethical wrong in the name of God. He had hurt so many people. He had innocent men and women thrown into jail. He had torn families apart. He had participated in the murder of an innocent man, Stephen, even as Stephen was praying for forgiveness over Paul and his murderous associates. He had done so much broken, corrupt stuff. And think about how his past sin and his past failure could have entangled him. The guilt could have choked him. The shame could have been unbearable. He could have been rendered useless because he was so overwhelmed by regret. And I'm going to tell you something. The enemy of your soul, the devil, has a favorite pastime. And that favorite pastime is collecting all of the dirt and the foul things that you have done in your past and beating the, the ambition out of you with those failures. He loves to beat out of you any perseverance that you might have. He uses that stuff and he says, who do you think you are? We both know the dirt that you have done. The thoughts that have gone through your head, the selfishness in your soul. Really? You're, you? Please. Who are you to be speaking on behalf of God? 
Who are you to be participating in ministry? He loves to take our past crimes and our sins against God and throw them in our face. This is, this is one of the ways that many of us have been rendered ineffective. We are so ashamed of the things in the past, so, so caught up with the things that we have done in the past that we don't feel qualified to participate in anything. We feel entangled, like we can't break free of those things. Our past haunts us, and we live with deep shame. But with the Apostle Paul, you can forget past sins. Forget past sins. You can forget past sins. Why? Because if you are a Christian, God has forgotten your past sins. Isaiah 43 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's God speaking. Jeremiah 31, 34, God says, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. How can God forget your sin? Because he remembers the finished work of Christ that atones for your sin. Do you know that when God thinks of you, he never thinks of you in isolation. He always thinks of you, Christian, in union with Christ. And for every sin of yours, there is corresponding atonement and performed righteousness by Jesus in your place. When God thinks of you, he thinks of you in union with Christ. He sees the beauty of his son where there is brokenness in you. He sees the goodness of his son where there is badness in you. He sees the righteousness of his son where there is unrighteousness in you. He sees the identity of his son where your identity is misplaced. He can, he can think of you in this way because of your union with Christ. And because of that union with Christ, you can forget about your past sins haunting you. Once you confess those sins and turn to God in repentance, you do not have to be plagued by your sins. Paul is saying forgetting what lies behind. Don't allow your past sins to keep you from your pursuit of the prize. You're free from sin, guilt, and shame through union with Christ. But Paul not only forgets his past sins and his past failures, I think this is just as pertinent. Paul also forgets his past successes and achievements. After Christ confronted and rescued Paul on the road to Damascus, the apostle went hard on mission. He preached all over the Mediterranean world. He shared the gospel with countless people and saw myriads of people come to faith. He planted dozens of churches all over the Mediterranean world. He discipled men and women. He equipped and raised up elders to lead local churches. He endured sufferings and afflictions on behalf of Christ. He spent time in jail because of his work for Christ. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead because of his work in ministry. And he could have looked back on all of his past accomplishments, all of his previous successes and said, you know what? I've done pretty good. You know, I, I, I've done a good job up to this point. You know, I could, I could just take a
take a break and coast a little bit. I mean, man, like, I paid my dues. He could have he had that mentality. But that's not what we see in the Apostle Paul. That's not what we see in the Apostle. And it's very easy to imagine how we could share this mindset as well. It's easy to try and live off of your spiritual accomplishments from the past. It's easy to think that my service from last week exempts me from service tomorrow. It's easy to try and live off of your past Bible reading and to live off your past prayers rather than to think about right now and what is coming and who, who you are now. Listen, Christian progress is not about who you were back then when you were on fire for God. Christian progress is not about who you were. Christian progress is about who you are now and who you are becoming. Who are you becoming? Paul is trying to give us, he's trying to, he's trying to invest in his friends in Philippi a different way of thinking about their spirituality. A different way of thinking about how the Christian life is to be lived. About the holy ambition and drive of the Christian life. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Paul refuses to be entangled by past sins, but he also refuses to be enamored with past accomplishments. I'll say that again. Paul refuses to be entangled by past sins, but he also refuses to be enamored by past accomplishments and successes. Instead, he says, I'm forgetting the good, the bad, and the ugly that is behind me, and I am making it my ambition, my drive to press on for the prize. And that brings us to our second point, where we consider the prize. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you could say that this is Paul's overarching approach to living out the Christian life. How do you live out the Christian life? Pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what you have to see here in order to appreciate what Paul is saying is he is using an athletic metaphor. He's using an athletic metaphor that would have come from the games that they would have in the Greco-Roman world, similar to what we know today as the Olympics. He's grabbing a metaphor there. That's what his language is reflecting here in the Greek text. He's, he's using athletic imagery to try and create a picture for his friends of how the Christian life is to be thought of. And here's the deal. Everyone knew this about the games. When runners would get out there on the track... They would run in order to win. Every fiber of their being was being spent and stretched and exerted and winning the race. They weren't looking back over their shoulders because that would slow them down. That would keep them from making the kind of progress that they needed to make in order to win. And one of the other things that, that Paul is bringing in here is this. At the end of the race... If you won on these special occasions, the king himself would summon the victor by name. And he would announce the name of the victor. And he would announce the name of the victor's father. 
And then the victor would receive the prize from the king's own hand. The successful athlete would proudly step up into the king's box to receive the prize from the king's own hand. And this is what Paul is saying. We're running a different race in order to hear a different call and to receive an altogether better prize. This is the Christian life. We are running a different race, the Christian life, in order to hear a different call, the heavenly call of God, and to receive an altogether better prize, to know Christ, to be renewed in intimacy with Christ, to have the fullness of the pleasures at his hand, to know sin no more, to know tears no more, to know suffering no more, to be in his presence with him forever to enjoy him. This is a different kind of race, and there is nothing in all the world that can compare with the sweetness of hearing the king call your name. There's nothing sweeter in all the world than the thought of the king calling you by name to give you the prize. There is nothing sweeter. It's better than hearing your name called at the Grammy Awards. It's better than hearing your name called at a graduation ceremony. It would be better than hearing your name called as the, as the Super Bowl MVP. Better than anything in this world could be would be hearing your name called by the king. To hear King Jesus call you by name and say, come on up and get the prize. Come on up and get this prize. Your father is God Almighty. Come on up and get the prize. Her father is God Almighty. To receive it from the hands of King Jesus, the prize for which we have been straining and running and fighting and training. This is the image of the Christian life. It's not sit back and cruise. It's not this is uh, good enough. It's not relying on your former accomplishments. It's not being entangled by your past sins. It's pressing on for the glory ahead. It's pressing on to know him. It's pressing on for the renewal of all things. I'm not going to let anything trip me up, Paul says. I'm going to run this race and strain with every fiber of my being to know him, to live for him, to be found in him. But we must press on toward the goal if we're going to step up to receive the prize. In your temptations and trials, press on toward the prize. In your suffering and heartache, press on toward the prize. In your sense of loneliness and confusion, press on toward the prize. When you're weary and feel like giving up, press on toward the prize. When your physical body is failing you, press on toward the prize. When your kids are bringing you to within an inch of your sanity, press on toward the prize. When it's beating you down, living life in the city, press on toward the prize. When the latest news headline seems to indicate that your life is of no value, press on toward the prize. When you're going through, press on toward the prize. And if you do, if you shift your attention from the past to the prize, then you will hear the king call you by name. You will hear the king name God as your father, and you will receive the prize. 
from King Jesus himself. That is good news. That is good news. That you can be free through your union with Christ now, free from your past, so that you can run the race and hear his call and receive the victory. We run this race not only as individuals, but we, Grace Mosaic, must run this race together. A holy energy that is expended in knowing Christ and living for him. Listen, when you, when you have this, this desire, this ambition, when you press on, when you, when you shift your attention from the past to the prize, you will live a life of purpose and beauty. You will live a life of service and honor. You will live in the love of God as a witness to Christ. And you will receive the prize. You don't need to have some kind of highfalutin degree in order to press on. It's not as difficult as you may be thinking. Essentially, what we're talking about is a clear conscience before God that you are making every effort to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. You're making every effort to live as a citizen of his kingdom. You are identifying and, and repenting of your idols, the things that you love more than God and the things that you love more than people. You're, you're, you're trying to, to make it concrete. If there's anything that is getting in the way of you knowing and loving God better and loving people better, you're willing to get rid of it. Pressing on has to do with these simple things. It's not that, it's not that complicated. It's basically living out the faith as it's been lived out by the church through the ages. The invitation here that I'm giving you today. Turn your attention from your past to the prize. And run the race in such a way that you can expect to hear the call from the king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for the life that we get to live together as a community. We are grateful that we have one another to help us, to spur us on when we get tired in the race. When we feel like giving up, when our past has us in its clutches, when our enemy throws our failures in our face, when we feel beat up, through trials and sufferings, Lord, we are grateful to have one another. And we pray that we would help each other to have this perspective. To not be so entangled by the past. That we refuse to try and participate. And to not be so enamored by our past. That we rest on our former victories. We pray that you would help us, God, to expend the, the spiritual and moral and ethical energy to live as your people in the world. And we pray, Lord, that we would not try to do this on our own, but that the first thing we would do is come to you in prayer and ask for your direction and what this could look like in our lives. And then to not be afraid of making mistakes, to not be afraid of getting it wrong, but to keep our eyes fixed on the goal 
which is Christ-likeness. And to break a sweat, a holy sweat, in our pursuit of being conformed to his likeness. To love like he loves. To be patient like he's patient with other people. To serve like he served. To hold out your word of grace like he did. To be courageous like he was. To confront injustice like he did. To seek the benefit and welfare of the other ahead of our own like he did. Lord, help us to run this race and strengthen us by your spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.